0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to your Lord. One of the scribes came to Jesus and asked him, Which is the first of all the commandments? Jesus replied, The first is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You are right in saying he is the one and there is no other than he and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is worth more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered with understanding, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: To you, Lord Jesus I have one sibling, just one older sister, and when we were growing up, my sister is really she's just good academically, you know, she's smart, and school was pretty, like, straightforward and easy for her, you know, like, mostly A's with, like, a, you know, like, a sprinkling of a B here and there and everything, and I was, like, not that way, and so, you know, I, I really struggled in school, and I didn't like to be in the classroom that much, and so that was always sort of challenging for me, and so there was sort of two different set of standards for my parents, you know, handling my sister and I kind of emerged. You know, my sister did really well and it was like, no problem, no worry. And then I was sort of like, well, all you have to do is get a C. You just have to pass and get to the next level. It was kind of like, we were just handled in a little bit of a different way. And somebody asked me recently if, um, if that bothered my sister at all, that we had like these two different. I was like, you know, it, it certainly never seemed to. And so I was, I was asking her about it. And she said, "No, not like not at all. It never really even occurred to me. And I guess she realized that like, my struggle was just like obvious enough, like that she didn't need to be like jealous of that, that situation at all. She'd realized that it was difficult for me. But one of the things that really taught me is just you know, each one of us is unique and unrepeatable, as we would say, created by God. And and the uniqueness of which my parents were able to treat us, according to our context and difficulty, was really amazing to me. And of course, like, you know, back then, I didn't so much see it that way. But in hindsight, looking back over all these years, in the context of God, it completely transforms things in my mind. And it made me really realize how important that example was for me to show a certain kind of love that God can give to us, because it points out something that's so important. Before anything, before anything, any gift, any talent, the way that we look, um, and any capability that we have at all, we're beloved sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And that is the thing that makes us unique and unrepeatable and lovable in the first place. All of that other stuff is just kind of details, but one of the difficulties is sort of, sort of in a world culture that we live in, um, we, we tend to quantify all those other things a lot. And sometimes, Being beloved sons and daughters of Jesus Christ is not something that we think about every day. but It's something, certainly in the seminary, that they really made us think about. It's just like, remember, this is your identity. First and foremost, this is your identity. And um, that can transform our lives. It, It truly can. And so one of the things I wanted to mention today that starts out in our first in the first reading here, what Moses says in in Deuteronomy is this very first sentence. He says, Moses spoke to the people saying, fear the Lord, your God, and keep throughout the days of your lives all his statutes and commandments which I enjoin on you and thus have long life. So that first component right there of fear of the Lord, when he mentions that, um, one of the things that he talks about or one of the things that calls to mind is a lot of times, of course, we hear that in modern language, and it doesn't make, like, immediate sense to us, right? Like, fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so it's something that's super important, and so here's kind of, like, one idea of it, because there's multiple aspects here. So does, has anybody ever seen the movie Rudy before? Like, Notre Dame, you know, he wants to play football for Notre Dame and everything like that. I loved that movie when I, when I was younger, and so... Um, in that movie, of course, Rudy's sort of like me. He's not a great academic, and he's actually not all that great of an athlete, but, but he's, a, he's an unbelievably hard worker, though. That's sort of like his true gift, really. But he wants to play football for Notre Dame, and so he has to kind of do so. You know, he can't get just accepted outright based on his athletic prowess or his academic um, ability. And so he works and works and works and works and works, and there's a priest that's kind of walking with him through that journey to help him along. And he gets rejected, you know, many times from applying to the university, trying to get through through sort of a junior college. And, and then he just has this conversation where he sort of is just exasperated, and he says, Father, I just don't know, have I done enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I done enough? And then, you know, and, he, and they have this conversation, and he says, you know, Rudy, you know, that, that, that's not it. He goes, you know, in 36 years of priestly ministry, he's, I've come up with two incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. <laughs> and and there, there's a, an extremely important lesson in that, in fear of the Lord. And that is understanding our place in the world, that there is a God, and we are not him. And so we don't completely understand how those things work. But we are beloved sons and daughters, though. that That is truly our place. And so there's two other aspects of um, fear of the Lord. And St. Thomas Aquinas writes about this in the Summa Theologia, and he breaks it down. And so I'll talk about, he said there's servile fear. So there's like the fear of punishment, right? Anybody who has parents knows what that fear feels like, right? So you're like, I'm just gonna like stay out of trouble so my mom doesn't get mad at me or my dad doesn't get mad at me. So that's kind of like servile fear. We're just afraid of being punished. And so we walk the straight and narrow because of that. But the real essence of fear of the Lord is, is called filial fear. Because we're sons and daughters and because we are loved so uniquely We don't want to be separated from that love And the real fear is to be separated from love itself And so that's the essence of fear of the Lord And that's so important for us to realize when we enter into this gospel today And so in the gospel today there's there's an important aspect of this So we hear something it sounds sort of like a prayer, but it's really more of a creed. It, would, it was called, and you hear it in this first reading in Deuteronomy, and then also in the gospel when it's reiterated, what's the greatest commandment and Jesus, Jesus tells them. And so what he recites is the Shema, which is in, in, in the Jewish you know, religion in Israelite culture, for those that were devout, they would recite the Shema in the morning and in the evening. And this is the reminder of who God really is. And so this was that, this was that creed, essentially, that they read. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore you, therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Take to heart these words which I enjoin on you today. But then we get cut off right there in the first reading, and there's one other thing that is said right after that. And it says, drill them into your children speak of them at home and abroad whether you are busy or at rest so that's exactly what it tells us to do in that part and so what it's telling us is that for the ancient israelites when they recited this in the morning and then in the evening they're trying to weave god into the fabric of their very day and their existence and this still exists today in the liturgy of the hours and so uh, I saw Deacon Chuck walk in with his with his breviary this morning. So, the breviary is one of the volumes of the liturgy, uh, liturgy of the hours. There's, there's usually four of them, typically, and um, and they go throughout the liturgical year. You'll switch different volumes. So, this is the prayer that all clergy prays and, and, and promises to pray on the ordination at your diaconate that you will promise to pray this for the rest of your life. Five different. We we call them hours of prayer, but they're not an hour long because we would we would be praying for for most of the day. But um, but they're you know the longest about fifteen minutes or so, and so in the liturgy of the hours we would say the pivotal hours are morning prayer and evening prayer. Those different spots and they really mirror a lot of the prayer in ancient Israel. And so one of the things that was also composed of their prayer is the psalms. So. In the breviary, usually what you have is the Psalms that you read through and then a reading from the New Testament. And it depends on what time of day you're doing them. But, but the pivotal hours are morning and evening. And it's always something that you go back and you check back in with God. You're integrating him throughout your whole entire day. Now, I remember when I first went to seminary and I was like, it seemed like an insurmountable task. I was like, you mean I have to pray the whole Liturgy of the hours? That's just like so much. You know, so you have it was easy to do morning and evening prayer because you did that in community with one another. So you kind of like had accountability for that. But then office of reading is before morning prayer. And then there's three middays, mid-morning, mid, midday, and mid-afternoon. And you pick one of those. And then you have your evening prayer and community and then night prayer. So to get all this on your own, especially once you're on your own and out of community, it it takes some discipline and it takes some practice to do so. And then magically, all of a sudden, it seemed like time multiplied itself. And I was like, how is it that I'm able to fit all this this time in when I didn't have it before? And it's just like, of course it doesn't multiply, but you just reprioritize your life, right? And you start to sacrifice other things to make sure prayer is integrated in your life. All of you know this all of you that have devotions to to the Rosary, Chaplet of Divine Mercy, uh, Holy Hours, any of the devotions that you have, you realize you reprioritize and then you add them into your life. When I saw that we had about 40 people that showed up to our first Chosen session, I was thinking, yeah, this is like in the evening time and you got to make time for it, right? you got to push something else aside to, to make time for that. And when you do that, You have all of these checkpoints of God throughout your day. And so that's how you integrate it. And like it says in that last part that was not included further on Deuteronomy, you do that when you're on vacation. You do that no matter where you are, and you teach it to your children. You make it ever-present to them so that they understand what it is that they're doing in their life. And that's so important. If we're able to sort of get a sense of that, if we weave this into the fabric of our life, and if we have these checkpoints of, of prayer and belief in our life, then what ends up happening is that that's the thing that transforms us. And then the second part of the commandment sort of starts to fulfill itself. And that's how we treat our neighbor, right? It, it usually starts with being very God conscious. And then once we are, then we start to see the people around us. And then everything that we've infused in ourselves that comes from God that's when it starts to affect our neighbor, the people that are actually in our life and around us. A lot of times we could have kind of like a self-centered existence. And, and when we don't have God in our life, we don't really see those things. We, we sometimes don't see our neighbor, our neighbor in need, uh, how we treat our neighbor, how we speak within our family, you know, just, just, just how we function in society amongst one another. And so one of the things... The other day that uh that it happened i thought there was a sort of a funny thing was as we look and we choose what these devotions in our life are going to be how we're going to weave god into our life one of the things like i mentioned in the beginning is this is more like a creed you know and sometimes it can become rote right it could become something that we learn like if the jewish people were praying this morning and night it becomes pretty rote like a lot of our prayers And so is something like our own creed, you know, that we have every Sunday or on a special solemnity, we would have the creed. But when we recite that creed, if you're ever in a situation where somebody's challenging you or persecuting you, or they're saying, what is it that you believe? If you recited that creed by heart, that is what we believe. It is a summary of who we believe Jesus Christ to be, who we believe the church to be, our blessed mother the communion of saints everything that we really believe in a very concise statement that's what the shema was for people so it was always close to you it's like this is what we believe so a lot of times it's amazing you know maybe if a younger person was asked well you're catholic what do you believe i bet the first thing they, they they would think of is not the creed right? But it might be the easiest thing. Hey, let me look something up real quick. And then just read the creed to the person. It's like, this is what I believe. But as we weave this into the fabric of our life, that's the thing that starts to transform us. So one of the things that transformed me, and and I've heard hundreds of vocation stories at this point in my life, and some, some of your own as well, is this moment. It's the moment where somebody says in some way, shape, or form, Lord, I've tried to do this my way, without you or with you on the sidelines i want what you want it's a letting go of our own will and asking the lord to lead us in a very very specific way Um, every time i hear somebody's vocation story, i hear i usually hear a point where they say well there's this one point i finally said i i knelt down in prayer and i was like lord i tried so hard and everything's going terribly just show me the way, just, just help me. And it's a relinquishing of your will and asking the Lord, give me, let me live in your will instead. And the other day, I shared a prayer at our staff, at our staff um, meetings. We, we always rotate leading prayer. And so it was my turn to lead. And I finished with this prayer. And then the funny thing about it was that Father Carey shared, he said, that's one of my favorite prayers. He said, I pray that prayer every morning, and every night. I was like, oh, that's so funny. And at first, I was sort of surprised by that, that we had that in common. But I was like, why should I be surprised? It's like, right? We're, we're two Catholic priests that love our Lord Jesus Christ, that are fed by the same Eucharist, that were called by our Lord. Uh, why should I be surprised that that prayer would speak to both of us? And so I wanted to share that prayer with you today, um, because it really encompasses, encompasses the idea of the supremacy and the primacy of god over everything the most important thing in our life in the shema and then this is kind of a letting go of our will a prayer of abandonment is what it's actually called but but it actually comes it's, a, it's compiled in this book you can find it on the internet in all kinds of places but this is actually called the manual of prayers and i believe that they actually have this at blessings from heaven if i remember correctly but this is a really awesome prayer book it was actually put out by the pontifical north american college in rome where, where i studied and the funny thing about it is that archbishop vlasny has the next mass today He's actually in here because at the time they published it, he was on the board of governors at that time. So, but it's an amazing prayer book that has so many prayers that often when you're with somebody and you're like at a loss for words, man, I bet you if you thumb through this, you'll find a prayer that you're like, man, that is a great, great prayer. So this, this is just a great little resource, and it's a beautiful little book as well if anybody's interested in it. But this is The Prayer of Abandonment by uh, Charles de Foucault, who was a, who was a religious brother. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord, And so need to give myself, to, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence for you are my father god bless you all